fellow Americans and all those listening overseas. Welcome back to Visiting the Presidents. This is a bonus episode. I've just been so pleased and touched by the support that I've received so far. And there's an idea that's been kind of kicking around as I've gone through some of these early presidents. And so I thought I would give you a little bonus episode. Today's topic isn't going to be about any one birthplace, but rather something that we've been discussing in relation to each president's upbringing. And so I'm going to call this bonus episode, Who's Your Daddy? We're going to be looking at presidential fathers. Now I know what you're thinking. Joe, doesn't every president have a father? And the answer, of course, is yes, they all did have a father. Uh, But what we're going to be looking at in this brief episode is going to be the difference between the different types of fathers that we see in all of our presidents. So, so far we've had 45 different men who have become president. And in my mind, I have cataloged the different presidents into four distinct categories. One is going to be the political father, the fathers who are going to be well-connected politically and kind of give a leg up to their famous son. The second category is going to be not political, but connected. These are going to be the wealthy, landed, elite, the kind of men that we've been discussing in the season so far. The third category is going to be average dad. These are going to be the men who do nothing to advance their son's career beyond providing a stable home or some kind of relative stability, but nothing extraordinary. And then the fourth category is going to be absent father, either dead or disappeared. And so to my mind, what's been really interesting is to look at the wide range of different types of fathers, some who are going to be very connected to their sons and other children, and then others who are going to be completely absent. And what I've found is that it doesn't necessarily correlate perfectly. And let me give you a few major examples. On the one hand, when we've been discussing some of the opportunities provided for our early presidents, and you have Augustine Washington and Peter Jefferson, James Madison Sr., who are going to be providing their sons with a stellar education, giving them a real kind of leg up on perhaps their peers. You also have, as a kind of studied contrast, somebody that we'll be talking about in um, not too distant future, and that's Abraham Lincoln and his father, Thomas Lincoln. And as I dig into reading about Abraham and his father, there is a real negative relationship between those two men, an abusive, both psychologically and physical relationship. And so it's interesting to note that you'll have men like Thomas Jefferson and James Madison, who will end up in the same building with Abraham Lincoln, and their home life and their relationship with their fathers could not be more different. And so that's something that I really want us to think about. One thing I want to address right at the beginning is that, of course, the relationship that children today have with their parents is going to be very different than the relationship that Augustine Washington had with George or 
Thomas Lincoln had with Abraham. And even into the 20th century, you know, you're going to see advancements in certainly our understanding of psychology and sociology. And we see the impact of more free time and having a understanding of what a nuclear family and a positive relationship can really mean to children. You know, those are things that we have become really familiar with today, but we're not always in place. And so I do want to make clear that that is something I'm keeping in mind as we start talking about this. Your expectations may vary, right? Um, We all know that your family life is not necessarily predictive of your success. I know a lot of people who might not have had the best upbringing growing up and were still able to make themselves into successes. And I know similar people who have had really loving, doting, attentive parents who then turn out to be complete nightmares. And so there's no rhyme or reason. And that's something that really kind of came through in looking at these various presidents. And so that's something I definitely want us to address right at the beginning, right at the outset. We'll start with maybe the saddest group of of this, uh, and that's going to be some of our presidents who grew up without their father or who experienced that loss at an early age. And I do want to do a similar bonus episode down the road looking at mothers, maybe for Mother's Day. Don't hold me to that. <laughs> that might be the goal right now. And it's amazing to see how many of the presidents did experience some kind of major loss at an early age. Let me read you some of the ages of our presidents when their father is going to pass away. And Bill Clinton, for instance, was going to um, have his father die 94 days before he was born. Rutherford Hayes had 76 days. Andrew Jackson, 14 days. When we look at all three of those presidents um, and who they were as men, you know, you see a very big difference in the way that they kind of comport themselves. Andrew Jackson, you know, he's going to also lose his mother at a pretty early age. And Bill Clinton is going to grow up with the his mother being a very constant presence in his life. And both men, I would argue, are probably a little wild. And Bill Clinton spoke really at length about what that loss of a father meant at an early age and what he then would imprint on other men in his life. Rutherford Hayes is going to similarly have a very kind of close relationship with his uncle Sardis. And, you know, I doubt that that would have been the case had his father been with us. James Garfield's father will die when he is one year and 166 days. Andrew Johnson's just going to be three. Herbert Hoover will be six. George Washington will be 11. Thomas Jefferson will be 14. James Monroe, 15. And then Grover Cleveland will be 16. And, you know, towards the end of that list, you're starting to get into your teenage years when many of us started to pull away from our parents to begin with. But it is still something very tragic to lose a parent and to kind of have to find your way in this world. And full disclosure, I have a very positive relationship with both of my parents. And uh, I've never had that experience of loss, but I can empathize. I can understand you know, certainly what a hole this could create in some of these men. And one of the things that is going to unify this group is going to be, you know, a sense of drive. When I think of Herbert Hoover, he is the epitome of a kind of self-made individual. So much of his success will be owed to really his brilliance and the, 
you know, generosity of family in making sure that he had a good education, but he was an exemplary student. Right under him on that list is Andrew Johnson, who none of us would think of as being particularly brilliant, but who is literally self-made. He is going to be a tailor and then develop these relationships in his new town in Greenville, Tennessee. And then from that is going to develop this political career. And to his mind, he was doing right by his parents and his parents' legacy. It wouldn't have looked the same to Jefferson and Madison and you know some of the more um, connected presidents, but his success is definitely one, you know, if we look at it just from a purely objective place that he is going to grow up, you know, really having to struggle all his life and then end up in the White House is pretty remarkable in my mind. Also in this list, you're going to have men who might have had a father in their life, but who were going to be a very kind of distant father or who is going to not really factor too much into that. And unfortunately, we've had a rash of those in our recent presidencies where Ronald Reagan is going to have a very kind of tumultuous relationship with his father, who is an alcoholic. We have Gerald Ford, who's going to um, never meet his biological father until he's a teenager and has a very kind of difficult time with that um, attempted reunion. Barack Obama is going to know of his father and meet him just once and has written a book about, you know, what that was like to, you know, dream of your father and never really get to um, understand him completely. And similarly, you're going to have um, some of our presidents who are going to um, have really kind of adversarial relationships. And that's where Abraham Lincoln would really kind of come in on that account. I think Abraham Lincoln's father, you know, just knew his limitations. And when his wife dies, he is in no position to raise his children, but he basically abandons them. And we'll definitely be talking about that in episode 16, but he abandons them to find a new mother, a replacement, but he offers nothing in the way of comfort or care to his children. And then when married for a second time, he's very harsh to Abraham and does everything in his path to make his son kind of turn out like him. And we see a direct contrast with the man that we'll be talking about in episode 13, Nathaniel Fillmore, who is going to be really down on his luck. He's going to have a lot of misfortune where actual money is concerned, but he dedicates his entire adulthood to helping his son reach the levels that he would never get to. And, you know, I don't think we would ever put Millard Fillmore and Abraham Lincoln in the same class of president, and I'm not here to try to do that, but just to see them and the relationships that their fathers, who were both kind of next to destitute, but the difference between what a dedicated and concerned father did in Millard's case versus Abraham really having to um, try to overcome so much of what his father had wrought as destruction. There is a really great book on this topic called The Raising of a President, and it's by Doug Weed. And one of the things he makes a point of is also looking at then the impact that that relationship has on their children when they become parents. And so the example he gives is with, again, Abraham and Thomas Lincoln, where 
in his later years, he's going to make a promise that he'll put up a gravestone for his father. And it's the one promise that he never gets around to. He just cannot bring himself to recognize his father in that way. And so many people badger him about naming one of his sons after his father. And so finally he does naming one of his sons, Thomas, but he never calls him Thomas. He calls him Tad. And he has a really kind of difficult time with his oldest son, Robert. And I can't imagine that it's completely disconnected from the relationship that he had with his own father. In that second category, I wanted to talk about men who were going to be not as well-connected, kind of down on their luck. And that's where you get men like Nathaniel Fillmore. And if you think about like a Martin Van Buren's father, who we talked about, where he runs a tavern and so can become kind of the, the town um, connector. But, you know, that's the only real kind of advantage that he can provide for his son. We really see this becoming a theme with our presidents that we'll be talking about in, in future episodes, where you're going to have individuals like um, Harry Truman's father or Dwight Eisenhower's father, who are going to be you know, eking out these existences, not really able to provide anything other than some form of stability and trying the best that they can. They're not obstacles to their children, but they're in no way like a um, hand to guide them towards a political career by any stretch of the imagination. You have men like Chester Arthur's father, Grover Cleveland's father, and Woodrow Wilson's father who were all ministers. And so in that way, they're somewhat connected, but they also, by virtue of what that position meant in a lot of those communities, they have to move around a lot. And so, you know, Chester Arthur and Grover Cleveland and Woodrow Wilson will all be moving throughout their childhood. And a lot of that is owed to their parents. And so they don't have that same kind of stability in one town, the way we saw with some of these earlier presidents who we've been discussing. Now, in a third category, we have the really well-connected, not political, but well-connected. And so you have men like Theodore Roosevelt Sr., who is a great example, gives his son everything he could want, including going on safari and making sure he has private tutors. And I would include in that category, Augustine Washington and Peter Jefferson. And then in recent, more recent presidents, I would include you know, Franklin Roosevelt's father, who was going to really be a kind of scion of the Hudson River Valley and make sure that his son is kind of in the perfect position for um, some kind of life of nobility, even if it's not politics or strictly political. You're also going to have men that I would put in that category who are going to make sure that their children have a good education and want to do a little bit better than their relationship or, you know, the opportunities that they might have had. And so I would include in that category people like John Adams' father, who's going to make sure that he has a Harvard education against his will, if you remember in episode two, and making sure that he knew, you know, exactly what um, was going to be expected of him. And you do hear that as a theme in a lot of presidents who grew up in this category where there was this kind of expectation, you know, the old adage to whom much is given, much is expected, or in some places required. 
One last person that I would add to that third category would be one of our more recent presidents. And I would put Donald Trump's father in that category. Fred Trump is going to be very wealthy. And we're all familiar, likely, with the idea that he gave his son a million dollars to invest. And it's going to be in his Trump organization that Donald gets his feet wet and decides his own kind of avenue to um, conquering the real estate market in Manhattan. And Fred is not going to stand in the way of his son taking over the business and having all of these different means of acquiring fame and fortune and what he does with them. And certainly, I would argue, is overshadowed by his son in almost every way. But I would also argue that Donald Trump would not have gotten where he was without his father's intervention in some places, including making sure that he went to military school when he was in trouble as a youth, and then making sure that he went to University of Pennsylvania and the Wharton School to keep him on the right path. And it did pay off in terms of uh, having a successful career for many people looking at him from the outside looking in. And I would definitely include him in a category like that. The final category would then be presidents who had parents that were also politicians or fathers who were also politicians. And I would include, of course, John Quincy Adams, who has a president who's his father, John Adams. And of course, that would also include George W. Bush, whose father, George H.W. Bush, was president just eight years before him. And in both cases, both of the sons in some ways kind of chafed under that scrutiny or pressure. John Quincy Adams definitely handled it a little bit better and threw himself into a political career from a kind of early age. But he was very diplomatic and interested more in that kind of means of advancing his career and kind of earning things on his own. You're likely familiar, and we will touch on this when we talk about George W. Bush, but the fact that he is going to really have a lot of demons and struggles and battle alcoholism until he gets into his 40s. And George H.W. Bush is going to end up really kind of putting the pressure not on George W., but on his second son, Jeb, who is going to become a politician in his own right. And it's going to be when George W. kind of sorts his situation out that he really takes to politics and gets involved and, of course, has a pretty flourishing career. But it was a very different path to get there than anything that John Quincy Adams took. In episodes 9 and 10, we talked about two presidents who grew up within a few miles of each other and whose parents or whose fathers were both governors in successive order. And that was William Henry Harrison's father, Benjamin, and then John Tyler's father, John, who are both going to be governors of Virginia. And what an interesting opportunity to grow up at the aftermath of the revolution with parents who were going to be well-connected and know some of these major political figures. And that certainly is going to play a role in how connected those presidents turn out to be. In episode 14, we'll be discussing Franklin Pierce, whose father is also going to be a governor, this time of New Hampshire. George W. Bush's grandfather, so George H.W. Bush's father, is going to be Prescott Bush, who had served as a senator. William Howard Taft's father, Alfonso, had served in cabinet and had been a local judge. And so you do get individuals like that who are going to have had some kind of political start. And I would include John F. Kennedy, whose father is going to be an ambassador 
to Great Britain at the outset of World War II and had political ambitions of his own. And Lyndon Johnson, his vice president, his father, Sam Houston, is going to be a uh, state legislator. And there's a few presidents who have uh, situations like that where their parents are going to be really well connected in local or state politics. We've talked a, a bit about some of these early presidents whose parents were going to be uh, surveyors or clerks or justices of the peace. And so that would include people like Calvin Coolidge, whose father is going to basically be uh, wear all of the hats in Plymouth Notch, um, Vermont, and definitely give his son then that kind of understanding of what it would mean to give back to a community and that kind of thing. So what is the takeaway for you? I wish I knew. <laughs> you know, I wish I knew what I'm understanding, you know, because it's clear that you can have a parent who's going to be very close to their son and give them a leg up. And in some cases, they're going to be completely unresponsive. A great example of that is George H.W. Bush, who was going to really be adamant about straightening George W. out. And George W. resisted at every turn until finally everything kind of clicked into place. And they ended up having a very positive relationship. We've all seen the photographs of the two Bushes on Inauguration Day and in the Oval Office and certainly the eulogy at the National Cathedral. But it's clear that that was not the straight path <laughs> that many of us want to think when it comes to these kind of idealized notions of, you know, the, the parents of a president. And again, when it comes to measuring some of our great presidents, some of them didn't have these positive relationships and still turned out to be um, pretty good on their own. And Abraham Lincoln really kind of stands out on that list. But there are other presidents who had really kind of rough relationships and still kind of turned out somewhat better. And conversely, you're going to have people <laughs> like the sons of governors, you know, William Henry Harrison, John Tyler, and Franklin Pierce are probably nobody's idea of a trio of great presidents. They had parents who had been executives. They had that experience in terms of understanding that role, but it's clear there's something else necessary. And so I guess that's some measure of comfort that you can provide your children so much support, but they have to take it up on their own. They have to take up that mantle to be their own individual. And really, when I look at from the latter part of the 20th century to the present, I mean, you really do get this study of contrast, like I talked about with we having these succession of presidents who didn't have a great relationship with their parents. And we pretty much went on, off, on, off with Gerald Ford, Ronald Reagan, Bill Clinton, Barack Obama, really not having a father figure or a positive father figure. And then contrast that with the Bushes and at least Jimmy Carter having a positive relationship with his father, Joe Biden speaking very um, glowingly about his own relationship. And Donald Trump has a um, pretty positive things to say about his father. And so, you know, there isn't a right path. If you're listening to this thinking, oh, you know, maybe it'll be my home one day that Joe can come visit as a birthplace of a president, or maybe I'll be the parent of a president. Um, I don't have anything to offer in the way of parental advice. I can listen to all the advice podcasts or read all the advice columns, and I do. <laughs> and I don't know anything about parenting. I do know 
that one of the through lines that we definitely see um, and that Doug Weed talks about is how the individual internalizes their childhood. And clearly, even in those presidents who had a very kind of dark relationship, they use that to kind of spur them to something better, to spur them to greatness. For those who did have a better advantage, they use that same relationship to make sure that they pass that on to their children or to know that they had to give back. And so clearly it's going to be about cultivating within that child the notion that they are in, in charge of their own path, um, probably a really kind of Calvinist <laughs> notion to, to end on, but certainly something to think about when we're going through these presidents. And like I said, I really hope to be able to talk about the presidential mothers, and you get a real wide array of individuals there. Some presidents are going to be real mama's boys, and adamant about it, you know, make no bones about their relationship with their mothers. And then you have others like George Washington and Thomas Jefferson being the best examples who really don't get along with their moms. And like I said, I feel grateful that I can't say that about either of my parents. I get along very well with them. But um, if any of you don't have that positive relationship, know that you're not alone. (laughs) Some of our great presidents have persevered through difficult relationships and um, understood where they can improve in their own relationship with their children as well. So take solace in that. That's it for today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Let me know if there are other topics down the road that you want me to incorporate, and I'd love to do more bonus episodes as we continue going along. So that's it for today. Remember to be checking out the episode page at visitingthepresidents.com, where you will find recommended readings for that week's episode. And then if you go to the top, you can find other recommended resources from previous episodes. And all of the purchases that you make through the affiliate link, I get a commission from and it can help to support the podcast. So a great way to show your, your support. Thank you. You can help me get the word out on Visiting the Presidents by rating and subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, as well as subscribing and liking on social media, on Instagram, Twitter, and the Facebook site, as well as the Visiting the Presidents website. So that's it for this week. Look forward to seeing you next week as we get in our cars and go to visit the presidents. See ya. (laughs) 